The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, Joel Whipperforth, Director of Ag Technology for Winfield United, and John Zook, Agronomist for Winfield United. Today, we're answering more of the questions we received from farmers at this year's Commodity Classic Trade Show. We have a tech question from Tom in Ohio, who asks, how will automation impact operations in the coming decades? Tom, you're going to be able to sit on your couch and eat potato chips while farming. It'll be that great. I don't know. I think this automation space continues to heat up, and it's being led quite a bit by the consumer side. You're seeing uh, self-driving cars being tested up until recently, where the permit for one of the companies was actually removed in Arizona. But you're seeing a lot of self-driving cars being tested there. And you know, I always kind of say it's probably going to follow a little bit the consumer technology, and ag applications will be just behind that. Some of the things that they're working on that are a little bit more difficult, obviously, if you've ever maybe did what I did or heard about doing, uh, picked rock, you put the tractor in first gear low and you kind of get off. And as long as there's not a hill, you can pick rock autonomously. We used to do that as kids. Nobody really liked that very much from a parent perspective. That wasn't allowed on our farm drill. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you guys followed the safety protocol. But the autonomous space in tractors, it's the next logical progression. You know, we've had auto guidance for a number of years. Some machines today, you can actually have the combine take over control of the tractor and grain cart and have the equipment operated in conjunction with each other. But one of the next things, one of the next phases, John. So does that mean no more cab corn? <laughs> no, you will still get cab corn. Until they put a grain hopper on top of the cab, I think that's the only way to not get cab corn. Well, I thought if you have a yellow combine, you don't have cab corn either. You just can't see the cab corn, but you can hear it. Oh. It's like reindeer hooves on the rooftop, John. You can hear them. So from an automation perspective, I think Case has kind of led the way publicly with what's going on. Case and New Holland have both led the way publicly, as you maybe saw at the farm show here, I think it was two years ago now, where they did the cabless case tractor that was autonomously being driven. Now, different reports of how many engineers were actually running the tractor from a a standby point. And that tractor wasn't doing obstacle avoidance. So it's great to think about the tractor running in the field right up until the point where an obstacle that wasn't supposed to be there all of a sudden gets in the way of the tractor. The tractor has to find some way to establish what the object is and then whether or not it needs to shut down or slow down. So I think as you go through these levels of automation, one of the things that this does is it removes the operator as the key limiting factor. And all the long hours that you've worked on the farm, you may be observing those maybe from your home and watching the equipment autonomously move. But for me as an agronomist, from a production standpoint, it opens up new possibilities in our complex manufacturing process where maybe you only want to spray once. Maybe we could spray five, six times because the autonomous bot could go out there and and go through the field more frequently. 
tillage. If you're in a, a vegetable crop and tillage is done very frequently throughout the year and you're farming continuously in, in California, tillage isn't really all that complex of a thing to do. And maybe you could have uh, tillage equipment going through the field without operators. Anytime that you can remove an operator from the instance, you can do things more frequently, potentially with less cost. And it opens up some new crop production capabilities like nutrient application. You could apply nitrogen seven times throughout the year because there's a bot, maybe a robot, running up and down the rows applying nitrogen. Whereas, you know, operationally, we try to make big machines today because we try to get the job done as quickly as we possibly can during daylight hours because it's not fun to work in the middle of the night. Although, you know, I know a lot of operators burn the midnight oil, but you can't do that every day. So it just, it takes a whole lot of pressure off of the operator being the limiting factor for what agronomic application needs to be done. We have a question from Matt from Minnesota. He asks, how can I decide whether or not a nutrient application will be worthwhile? Well, Matt, I think no matter what nutrient you're looking at, you always want to measure what you're trying to manage. So if you picked on nitrogen, for instance, if you were to try to measure nitrogen in season, I think you could go out there and you could take a tissue sample as a start. And one of the places that we've been working really hard on in ag technology for the R7 tool is to try to measure with a tissue sample and then model that out using the field forecasting tool to run through the scenarios of what's the next 14 days worth of weather going to be and what's my yield potential going to be, and then actually use that tissue sample to calibrate any bad assumptions that the model might have had to make up to that point. And so that's one of the places that if you're looking at an in-season nutrient application, we're really trying to get down the path of measuring and then modeling. And so this kind of brings on this manufacturing thing that goes on called digital twinning. And a number of industrial manufacturers, GE is using these, and they're using dynamic software models of a physical thing. And they're calling that dynamic software model, they're calling it a digital twin. It's a computer model of the physical thing that's happening. And what that gains you is you can run different scenarios. Everybody talks about, well, you get 40 chances to farm. Well, with digital twinning, you could get 40,000 chances to farm in one year because you're running different computer models of what's coming along, what the weather environment has given you thus far, and what some different scenarios for nutrient applications mixed with the upcoming weather events might be. So I think the biggest advantage of a digital twin, Joel, is that it allows you to maybe perceive the future in a different manner than your brain normally comprehends. Because one of the ways to know if a nutrient application is going to actually work or not is to be able to understand the timing of that crop, what stage it's at, and then also what nutrients are needed at certain amounts. So by having a crop model or a digital twin, you can start to plug in different factors and then evaluate how that crop might respond before you actually make that application to get a better perception on what's going to do. So, John, do you know anybody who has a Fitbit or an Apple iWatch that tracks their steps and their heartbeat? Yes, I know several people that fall to that gimmick. Yeah. So isn't that kind of like a digital twin for yourself? Maybe so. Real time. So one of the things I heard about most recently is a company that was taking a DNA from a human, inserting it into a nematode, and then they were able to get the nematode to replicate your DNA, and they could use it to apply different medicines 
different pharmaceutical products to that DNA, and they could predict how your DNA, or they could do a digital model of you, or in this case, a nematode model of you, to predict how you might react to a certain medicine. So this digital modeling, uh, digital twinning, is, is kind of all around us, even from a medical standpoint. And if they took that DNA from you, I can't imagine what that nematode looked like. <laughs> no comment, John. And we have one more question. I know family is very important to both of you. So let's discuss this question from Rachel in Ohio. How do we incorporate our kids into the farming operation? So I think incorporating kids into the family farm, you know, we're always looking for what the next generation is going to be. Find a way that in your decision-making process, maybe kind of get them engaged in seeing what the decisions are out there. You know, certainly 4-H and FFA are the ways that, uh, you know, growing up, I was engaged in thinking about the farm and agriculture. You know, one of the biggest things is when you're thinking about, uh, I was just recently back on my brother's farm, the equipment is three times the size it was when I was a kid. And so I think about my nieces being involved on the farm, and I think about farm safety. You have to find a safe way to get them engaged in what's going on, and at the same time, help them learn about the decisions that are being made. So some things that I'd like to add to that, and and just reflecting back of what made me so passionate about agriculture and farming was the introduction to agriculture, and maybe wasn't it was forced upon me. A lot of time when we get to farming, we get to the point of we got to get this done. We have a time frame to work, and I think the key point in involving kids or your kids into agriculture is allowing them to maybe choose some of the things that they want to participate in, allowing them to have some conversation with it, and then also maybe not forcing some of the tasks and duties upon them, but also still understanding that there's a work ethic to go along with farming and making sure that they're being as involved as they possibly can in the interesting parts that they find. You know, I have a colleague that I work with that has a child with a disability and, you know, he's really trying to get his kids engaged in it. And one of the things that we talked about here, I saw a cool piece of technology here about two weeks ago that uh, it was actually for animals, for pasture animals. And it was a a collar, like an invisible fence collar, except for everything, including a GPS, was built into the collar. And you could actually pasture the animals using your iPad app, moving the fence around to do rotational grazing, all from your iPad app, because it used the GPS collar, in this case, on the goat, to kind of give the goat an audible sound, like do-do-do, and then it would shock them on the fourth tone. And, you know, that was a way that my colleague and I were talking about getting their kid with a disability engaged in, you know, rotational grazing from an iPad app. So maybe there's some technology things that you can get your kids engaged with on the farm. So we tried to get through as many questions as possible, but there were quite a few and we weren't able to cover them all today. Be sure to continue tuning into The Deal with Yield for a chance to hear us answer more of your questions on upcoming episodes. You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperforth, Director of Ag Technology for Winfield United, and John Zook, Agronomist for Winfield United. The Deal with Yield podcast is produced by Winfield United. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. 